Hello and welcome to The Lowdown, an insider's look at stories touching our lives here on Cape Cod and beyond. My name is Ira Wood, and you're listening to us on WOMR 92.1 FM Provincetown and WFMR 91.3 FM Orleans, always streaming on WOMR.org and the WOMR smartphone app. Today we're talking about a new novel in which the central character struggles with taking off weight. Not the extra five pounds you gained over the holidays, but hundreds of pounds gained as a result of repressing childhood trauma and lost by means of serious medical and family intervention. According to the National Institutes of Health, nearly one in three adults are overweight, more than two in five are considered obese, and one in 11 suffer morbid obesity, a condition with life-threatening consequences. Most of us don't know the stories of people with this condition because they're ostracized by our society and because they're Size makes it hard to participate in many of the activities we take for granted, which is exactly why it takes a novel to reveal their inner lives and illustrate how their condition often has little to do with their lack of self-control, but many conditions beyond their control. My guest today is Wendy Willis-Baldwin, whose new novel introduces us to Ruby and Pearl Crenshaw, whose lives are opposite in every way, but who come together when they most need each other. It's called The Sisters We Were. Wendy Willis-Baldwin, thank you so much time for taking the time to talk with us today. Ira, thanks so much for having me, and what a lovely introduction. Thank you. So the novel is about the Crenshaw sisters, Ruby and Pearl. Can you maybe take two minutes and sketch out their situation, just so we're all on the same page? Absolutely. So The Sisters We Were basically features Pearl and Ruby Crenshaw, as you mentioned, and these are two estranged sisters. Pearl, at the beginning of the novel, weighs 531 pounds, and her health has basically spiraled out of control. Meanwhile, her older sister, Ruby, she has impulse control issues. I like to tell people she likes to throw things. <laughs> if you read the story, you kind of know... Um, yeah, impulse control, Ruby, that goes hand in hand. Um, so there's some anger management stuff that's going on with her. And and basically her coping strategy for traumas that she's um, faced is, is running. She runs from her past and, and all of her hurts and all of her wounds. Um, contrast that to Pearl, her sister, who has taken solace in um, overeating. And Pearl's uh, trauma has manifested in her body in the way of a, a runaway food addiction that is really um, threatening her health and threatening to leave her bedbound at the beginning of the story. And you've got mom in prison, and the reader doesn't know quite why that's the case as the story opens. And we find out as the layers of the onion begin to be unpeeled. And um, ultimately, this is a story about the power that comes from knowing we're all just one decision away from a totally different life. And um, Ruby and Pearl are, for a variety of reasons, put back together under the same roof, um, sharing the same roof. And that's when things get really interesting. The, the sisters are forced to reckon with their past and um, heal and, um, you know, just really um, decide whether or not they're going to reconcile. Okay, that I think that sets us everybody up on understanding exactly what we're talking about. So one of the things that really struck me was that this about this very engrossing novel was that you had a hard time placing it 
with a publisher because, as one editor said, readers would find a 531-pound protagonist to be distasteful, notwithstanding the fact that there are novels published about serial killers, mass murderers, heroin dealers, and child molesters. What is, right? <laughs> what, what does this tell us about our society's attitudes about people with higher weight? I, uh, you know, it says a lot, Ira. But um, ultimately, when that happened, and that is a true story, I had editors saying, you know, oh, people will find this 531-pound uh, person to be distasteful, and the truth that that hurt my feelings. It hurt my feelings. It hurt my sister's feelings um, in real life um, because, you know, I grew up loving someone who was a lot like Pearl Crenshaw, and my book is dedicated to my own sister um, who overcame. Um, a, a very near fatal uh, battle with obesity. And 10 years ago, she decided it was time to, you know, have surgery. She had to do, she felt she had to do something drastic to um, save herself. And she did. And 10 years later, I mean, she's kayaking, she's, she's embracing life. She got smaller, her world got bigger. And, um, you know, if were it not for the courageous choice she made to to do something and, and take that one decision and, and turn her life around and turn her pain into her purpose, um, it, it's, uh, you know, who knows where she would be or if she would even be with me still today. So it really did hurt my feelings when I heard that from um, editors. And um, I, I just decided this is a story that needs to be told. And, and what you mentioned is, like we we don't seem to have a problem talking about alcoholics or, or sex addicts or bulimics, anorexics, people with all I mean, trauma manifests in our body in so many different ways. And there are so many different kinds of addiction. And um, for whatever reason, we as a society have a hard time, um, uh, you know, looking at what really is going on with with people who are battling morbid obesity and um, that's why I love this particular story so much. It's just Pearl is such a hero and we need more heroes like Pearl in storytelling. So the language used to describe obesity can really be a prickly subject. Did you have a difficult time with this or do you still when you go out to discuss the book? You know, I think what it is, is it, I think a lot of people is like, okay, is this fat shaming? Is it, um, um, because there's so much going on in our in the body positivity movement that's really um, good right now. Because you know we don't all come in one shape or size, and and um, nor should we, quite frankly. And and it's okay for us to be tolerant of of all different body shapes and sizes, and and that's really quite frankly how we should be. Having said that. Um, you know, my perspective is, and my sister, who obviously she lost 349 pounds, um, body positivity is all about doing positive things for your body and um, trying as best you can to be healthful and, and lead a healthful life, lead a healthy life. And, and we see this reflected in what goes on with Pearl Crenshaw. Um, but the truth is, this story isn't just about weight loss. I mean, it, and, and I, I hope that one of the overarching themes that comes across very loud and clear is that although the protagonist does lose 349 pounds over the course of 18 months, um, she's not fixed because she's become smaller or lost the weight. She's only um, healing 
because she's doing the work it takes to uncover the emotional um, damage that was done as she was a child and, you know, well into adulthood. And, and she's starting to learn how to um, cope with all of that in, in um, healthier ways. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not about the weight loss. It's about the self-worth required to invest in yourself in a meaningful way. So when a person is exposed to a traumatic event, they will often try to suppress the memory of it to enable them to continue to function. Um, I'm not going to ask you to reveal the traumatic events that caused Pearl Crenshaw to become morbidly obese, because finding that out is part of the pleasure of reading the book. But I will ask you to, to posit how food works to numb a traumatized person, to enable them to function. Is there really an emotional hunger that food satisfies? Why food as opposed to alcohol or sex or or gambling or anything else? What is it about food? Right. I think, you know, I mean, for my sister, having grown up watching um, her food addiction in real life and, and seeing it spiral out of control and having had a number of conversations with her, um, for her, it was it, 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 sati- it was satiating. You know, it, it felt um, her food addiction satisfied loneliness, satisfied um, it, it, it helped her cope with her shame. Um, and she would even tell you that she, it, it worked to insulate her from having to deal with people who might be trying to hurt her. And since my own sister and I were both people who were traumatized as um, children um, in the form of sexual abuse, that's not an uncommon thing. In fact, um, for people who are battling morbid obesity, there's an astonishingly large percentage of them who have had some childhood sexual abuse, and um, and and this is just a manifestation of it. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Lowdown with Ira Wood on WOMR. Today we're talking about losing weight, as in a lot of weight, to the tune of hundreds of pounds. My guest is Wendy Willis-Baldwin, and her new novel tells the story of a family struggling to deal with the repercussions of trauma. The book is called The Sisters We Were. So... Before Pearl starts her journey losing weight, she does some serious pigging out, eating things like beef nacho grillers with an extra side of queso, nachos bel grande, bean and cheese burrito, curly fries, stuff I've never even heard of. How hard was it for you to imagine eating all this? I know it was really hard for me to read it. Yeah, well, um, and it's all it's all based on truth. I mean... Um, Many people have asked me, you know, to what extent my sister helped with this novel, and it was uh, she helped me a great deal because I used the actual weight loss that my sister went through over an 18-month period as my scaffolding for this narrative arc. And the food consumption was um, basically stuff my sister journaled about, including but not limited to um, having eaten a whole pan of lasagna, Stouffer's lasagna on the night before she decided, you know, I've got to lose 50 pounds in order to even be small enough to consider bariatric surgery. So the the level of consumption is real for many people. And it's hard, I think, for people who are not, um, uh, those of us who aren't coping with a food addiction, it's really hard to wrap your brain around, like, how can this be possible? But, but it's also possible to imagine how much people are able to drink, right? Like, I mean, you see people who are alcoholics and, and 
the amount of consumption and excess is just mind boggling. And, and, and we're, those of us who don't struggle with that, I just can't even begin to imagine what it's like to polish off a whole handle of vodka over a two day period or something like that. I would kind of equate it like that. It's just that we, and, and in many ways, I would say that a food addiction is probably among the hardest to break, right, Ira? Because like we, other addictions, we, we can quit cold turkey and we don't need these things to survive but we need food in order to survive and so it's about recalibrating and learning how to um you really have to reprogram your brain and to say hey this is it this is what i'm these are my choices this is what i'm going to eat this is all my body needs for nourishment right now and um it's a tremendous amount of work and if there's anything i would hope that this novel does too is um is destigmatize uh, the choices that some people um, make in order to save themselves, because I think it's it's awful the way we still, you know, remember when people talked about cancer in a whispered voice and they said, C, you know, the C word, cancer, he's got cancer. And, you know, there was this real big stigma about it years ago. I Did they say cancer in Texas? No, I'm Did saying it the learn- way we say it in New England now. <laughs> I, I, I know now how to, I know how to park my car. Okay. okay. Like, yeah, okay. now I'm a, and I am a local now. I'm living okay. in New Hampshire. So, um, but yeah, um, it's it's weird how we've stigmatized that so much. And and I hope that I would hope that people um, who seek out this option can feel more empowered. Uh, that if if it's a, a a choice that makes sense for them, that you know, it, it's something that they should avail themselves of. If if um, if together with their doctor, they think it's the right okay. choice. So and, I had no idea what was involved in bariatric surgery, which which is the modification of one's digestive system in order to help them lose weight. It's a lot more than just reducing the size of the stomach. In fact, it takes real commitment, real mm-hmm. courage going forward. So can you talk about some of what's involved that you described that, that encompasses yeah. bariatric surgery? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's truly fascinating, and is by no stretch um, the easy way out. It is it is absolutely a difficult choice for people to make because you um, first of all, before you're even a candidate, you have to be a certain size and weight, and in some cases, if you're morbidly obese, then it requires you to lose a certain amount of weight in order for it to be a safe procedure for your surgeon. Um, and, and so there's that, and then you've got these preoperative counseling things you've got to go through. You've got to get, um, um, they've got to check your intestinal system, make sure a candidate, you're a candidate. There's, um, you know, uh, sleep study stuff that has to be done. And then for the surgery, I mean, for my sister who had what was called the sleeve and the longest word in the book is the dual denotal switch. I, I, it's a long. You still can't word, say it. I couldn't. I, I still can't see it. So we just call it the sleeve. Anyway, my sister had the sleeve, and um, the thing is that is um, even after that, you are for a lifetime committed to eating very bird-like portions, which means that in order for you to get the nourishment you need, you've got to really dial into your protein intake. You've got to really work on hydration and, and you've got to eat tiny little portions, mostly of protein, um, for the rest of your life. So uh, there's no more full pan of Stouffer's lasagna. There's no more, like you were talking about nacho grillers from Taco Bell or whatever. That's all bye-bye. I mean, and, and for my sister, it has been for 10 years. 
So and how does she, she do she it? Not she's doing it in real life. She's doing a great, she's doing fabulous. And, and, um, she's been able to enjoy her life. And as I mentioned earlier, she's turned her pain into her purpose. She's now a bariatric coach and she goes around helping others walk through this whole process. And, you know, she, Ira, she does so much now. I mean, we go snorkeling, we go kayaking, she's, we hike. And in fact, a fun little side note I'll offer, you know, the characters' names in the story are Pearl and Ruby Crenshaw. And of course they're two gems. So I love that. And and um, I call them flawed but fabulous characters who take two steps forward and one step back at all times, which is pretty much how I roll along in life, too. And uh, But their last name, Crenshaw, was um, uh, very sentimental for me because my sister, at the time that I started writing this novel, she came to visit me in Virginia. And we've kind of gotten off a period of estrangement. We're patching our own relationship back together. And we went hiking along Goose Creek in Loudoun County. And... We were on this dirt road called Crenshaw Road, and it was the first time, Ira, in my adult life, in our adult lives, that my sister and I had been able to walk for five miles and keep pace with one another. And that had just never happened because for my sister, she had always been so heavy that it was hard for her to even walk across a room or walk up the stairs at our house or anything. And so to have that moment where we were walking side by side and chatting and going over ideas on this book and everything, it was, it felt, it just felt so victorious. Right. And um, so I told her, I was like, I think I'm going to name them Pearl and Ruby Crenshaw and she loved it. And so did I. So um, it, it just felt right. How hard was it for you to be with your sister when she had become so heavy how difficult was it to be in her presence for you well i think it's hard for anyone who loves someone with an addiction it's hard for um people to watch right um and for me um and for all of our family members who of course love my sister um for my son and daughter who are her niece and nephew i mean you know everyone loves my sister and so it was very hard for us to watch this pattern of self-destruction and um things like you know the sleep apnea and the way that she would fall asleep during conversations and things like this in the middle of a conversation and, and unaware um, and by the way, you don't have to be overweight to have that condition, but um, it, it is fairly common with people who are battling morbid obesity. And um, so it was just really hard. And, and curiously enough, too, um, food addicts do a really good job of hiding their addiction, right? Except that it's very visible. We can see that, you know, um, they're not eating kale and cauliflower, obviously, but based on their, um, you know, 500 plus pound weight. And so it, it's obvious that there there's something going on. And yet when I would go over to my sister's home in real life and I'd look in her fridge, there was nothing except like diet soda in the fridge, like nothing at all. And I'd be, I was mystified or we would sit down at a meal and eat and I would be eating pretty regular portions and sometimes going back for seconds. And my sister would eat like a bird. And, and so what I found out later, once she was ready to have the surgery and certainly after the surgery, we, you know, she processed all this with us is is how much she was 
you know, whizzing through drive throughs and ordering a tremendous amount of food shamefully and how she and, and, and Pearl, the character in the novel, does this where she kind of skips around to her favorite drive throughs so that she doesn't oversaturate one in particular because she, you know, is embarrassed. Um, like, oh, my gosh. And and making up stories about, yeah, I'm getting these two pizzas for, you know, a class of kids, only really it's not. It's it's all for her. And um, so it was it was hard because I was always worried about, quite frankly, my sister's life expectancy. And mostly I was, I was sad for what she was missing out on, including travel, um, just the ability to take long walks together or, or, you know, swim, um, and, and play and so many of the things, ride a bike. I mean, the things that we all, um, enjoy that are just part of the joy of living my sister's life was so um uh, just shrunken because of that and and she is the first to tell you that it got bigger when she, her life got bigger when she got smaller and now the things that she's able to embrace and do and enjoy and talents that she didn't even know she had this whole period of self-discovery that happens because her physiology is completely changed and it's truly as if she is a brand new person. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Lowdown with Ira Wood and WOMR. Today we're talking about losing weight, a lot of weight. Uh, my guest is Wendy Willis Baldwin and her new novel tells the story of a family struggling to deal with the repercussions of trauma. The book is called The Sisters We Were. So, Wendy, how is it Many, many people who tell the stories of their families have to struggle with the fact that there are members of their families who do not want to be, quote unquote, outed, who want mm -hmm. the privacy of their family kept intact. How was it that the person that we know as Pearl was so open about it and was so um, encouraging for you to put this out there in the world? Well, I think, um, first of all, my sister was so supportive of this because, quite frankly, she's overcome it. And so people who have overcome their their demons are much more willing to talk about it. And and not only is my sister willing to talk about it, she does it for a living. And, and together, she and I founded the Life After Fat Pants podcast, which is a, a, a show um, that's dedicated to talking about true stories of transformation. And it really plays off this notion that we're all just one decision away from a totally different life. And the way we got the name, the Life After Fat Pants podcast, Ira, is that my sister had these jeans that she wore when she weighed 531 pounds. And when she lost her weight, there was an article being written for a magazine and there was a photo shoot. And so I stood in one leg. My sister stood in the other leg of these jeans. And if you go to the website, the Life After Fat Pants podcast website, you'll see this picture and it's so shocking that like the, the transformation she made in it. And for her, it's the trophy that she keeps. It's her, it's her keepsake because it's her, uh, it, she earned it, you know, it's like, a, and it was a constant reminder to her that at one point she had gotten that big and, and now she's not, and she overcame it. So I think oftentimes, you know, people are willing to share their, their stories of um, success. Right. But none of us wants to, really dive deep when we're still <laughs> battling those things and um now that's not to say that someone um like pearl crenshaw who loses all this weight 
her life isn't fixed because she lost the weight. As I said, it's, it's really about the self-worth that she discovers along the way that puts her on a healthier path emotionally. Um, not perfect, but better. So, and so, and, and by the way, to your point on that question, part of the reason I loved writing the story in a fiction form instead of a memoir or something is because fiction does give us so much more freedom to just make stuff up, um, quite frankly. And, and it gave me a lot of freedom to color in um, characters and, and, and the plot and, um, and create things that aren't true. Like for instance, my own mom, I want to say in real life has never been incarcerated. Um, <laughs> she was an English teacher <laughs> and, and God rest her soul. She's not here for this uh, pub day uh, to celebrate with us, but um, she would have been so thrilled by this book. But so there are all kinds of things that I'm able to do as a writer to, um, you know, embellish and color to kind of help um, create this narrative arc. And, um, but my sister was, uh, was really super supportive. I'm surprised she did not want to write her own story. She, she was, it sounds to me like she was a, like, rather than you were writing about her, she was very much a collaborator of yours in, in writing this book, but she was not really interested in writing her own story. Yeah. Well, some of us are writers and some of us aren't, she's a talker and she's a communicator. And so that's why, uh, the podcast platform, um, is a real natural one for her and she's on the speaking circuit she speaks to groups um quite a lot and um actually she did write um a few things in the novel that are really pretty special that um readers will find when they get the book um there's a letter from her at the back that's uh super touching and um anybody who's ever battled what my sister battled will I'm sure fully appreciate it. Did your sister have a job when she was that size? Was she able to be in the working world? Yeah, she was. She was. But, you know, I am, I would characterize her employment. She was, you know, she went to college. She was gainfully employed. And, and she always was. But her um, her career situation was um, you know, a little more on again, off again. And I, I think it was a lot of health-related stuff. But she's always been um, a very compassionate caretaker. Um and so, yeah, she's uh, and my sister for many years, just like the character in the book, worked in um, geriatric um, case management and stuff like that. Well, that's one of the more touching parts of the novel is that she was obviously a person who experienced um, a lot, a lot of hurt. And she was able to take care of older people. And that and that I, I really don't I have no idea what is actually true in your life, what was true in the character mm-hmm. who was Pearl's life. But I have to say that you did a very, very good job of giving us two lives that are very, very believable. Did you visit a prison in order to um, in order to make the visit with the mother in the book mm-hmm. real? I did research on the prison environment. So I, I kind of knew, and I, having had a background in journalism and broadcasting in my early career. I had visited prisons and interviewed women in prison. So I had some context to kind of help color that a little bit. But, you know, the the career choice for Pearl Crenshaw in the book where she works at an assisted living center in Austin, Texas, and she takes care of these people who are battling Alzheimer's. I thought that was such a great paradox. And it always was with regard to my sister in real life, because um you know, here is this person who can't seem to take care of themselves, but who does this masterful job of taking care of other people. 
And there's, I, I was just fascinated by that, right? Like, um, it's so interesting to me, and it always has been. People who um, are, are pretty seemingly reckless with their own health, but but super careful about the health of others. And um, and so I just thought it was a very interesting um, point of view. Well, I thought you did a wonderful job with the novel, with the story, with making people who are ostracized in our society become very, very real to us in a way that we never really would have known them. So I think we're going to end it there, and I want to thank you for your time. Tell people that my guest today has been Wendy Willis-Baldwin. I want to thank Maddie Dunn for his tech work on the show. The Sisters We Were is really a riveting novel. Um, you know that I don't do many novels on this show, but I was really, really glad that I did this one. It was recently published by Sourcebooks Landmark. This is Ira Wood with The Lowdown on Healing Family Trauma, one interview at a time. Bye for now. <laughs>